Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about lead water service pipes. That's coming up later in the program. First, your environmental headlines. WPTA in Fort Wayne reports that after the Trump administration effectively shut it down, the Environmental Protection Agency has relaunched a website that lays out the clear evidence for climate change. The site explains climate change indicators like rising sea levels, temperature increases, droughts, and wildfires. While the Trump administration did not allow the site to be updated and openly disputed climate change science, members of the Hoosier Environmental Council are encouraged by the new administration's decision. Quote, this is a very positive development, end quote, said Jesse Carbonda, the executive director of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Quote, our mayors, city councils, and county commissioners, our utilities, our farmers, and our park managers all need up-to-date, well-documented data, such as the kind found on the Climate Indicators site, to make sound long-term decisions having to do with our health, roads, and bridges, electric power, food, and parks, end quote. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says that despite overall Republican resistance to the Biden administration's environmental efforts, Indiana's two U.S. senators have worked with Democrats to introduce federal legislation seeking to boost the nation's economy and technology while helping reduce climate change impacts. Senators Mike Braun and Todd Young, along with Representative Trey Hollingsworth, spoke to the Nature Conservancy in Indiana about several bipartisan bills they introduced to Congress that would establish the foundation for a carbon market, increase outreach from land-grant universities, and encourage green hydrogen production and research technology that would prevent human-made disasters like climate change. The senators said opinions on climate change have altered during their time in office, and Hoosiers want to address climate change in an economically viable way. Quote, when I first began serving in elective office, I heard more skepticism about the origins of climate change, about whether or not it was happening, or and so forth. And there's a lot less of that now, end quote, said Young, quote, I think most Hoosiers believe that we should have a scientific and economic response to addressing the concerns of climate change. We should act, but we should act in a manner consistent with science and good economics, end quote. 
WFHB will take some credit for the change in views. Members have been writing to the three for several years about the dangers of climate change and the need to drop coal. A recent survey from Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute found a majority of Hoosiers, regardless of party affiliation, reported believing climate change was happening now and is at least partly caused by human activity. What's for lunch? Cicadas, quote, they're a lot like shrimp. They're like tree shrimp, end quote, said Jessica Fanzo, who is a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor of Global Food Policy and Ethics at Johns Hopkins University. Insect eating, or entomophagy, is not common in the United States, but a 2013 report from the United Nations advocates eating insects for future food security. Insects. They're a great alternative source to other animal source foods. For example, cows, which are producing a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, Fanzo said. Cicadas, which are high in protein, have also historically been a food source for some Native American tribes. Fanzo said anyone interested in trying a cicada should pick out the female nymphs while they are still white and fresh out of the ground, then freeze them in a bag. When ready to try them, boil them for two minutes and then cook them to your liking. Insects are a highly nutritious and healthful food source with high fat, protein, vitamin, fiber, and mineral content, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. As the Trump administration was drawing to a close, it hurried to approve ConocoPhillips' willow oil and gas drilling project in Alaska's western Arctic. The 23 million acre area is the nation's largest single unit of public land. President Biden, who pledged to address the climate crisis, can stop the Willow Project. The project involves drilling up to 250 wells and constructing a processing facility, airstrip, and gravel mine. Hundreds of miles of ice roads and pipelines would permanently scar the area and harm wildlife, possibly even crushing polar bears in their dens. It would destroy essential habitat for caribou and hundreds of bird species that migrate every year through the lower 48 states. It would lead inevitably to spills and air pollution, threatening native communities on Alaska's north slope. Over the past 60 years, Alaska has warmed more than twice as fast as the rest of the U.S. The warming is currently causing coastal erosion, harming numerous species that depend on the frozen landscape to survive and thawing the permafrost. Absurdly, ConocoPhillips' plan involves using giant chillers to refreeze permafrost to ensure a solid drilling surface. Yellowstone National Park is famous for harsh winters, but a new study shows summers are also getting harsher, with August 2016 ranking as one of the hottest summers in the last 1,250 years. The new study drew upon samples of living and dead Engelmann spruce trees collected at high elevations in and around Yellowstone National Park to extend the record of maximum summer temperatures back centuries beyond instrumental records. The findings were published in Geophysical Research Letters. The tree rings of Engelmann spruce were the basis of the study because the wood is white, making the tree rings easier to count. The team, led by Karen Heater, a dentochronologist at the University of Idaho in Moscow, 
found that the 20th and 21st centuries, and especially the past 20 years, are the hottest in the 1,250-year record. Previously, temperature records for the Yellowstone region were only available going back to 1905. The Back 40 mine has been defeated for the time being. A massive mine and ore processing center, the Back 40 posed an existential threat to the Menominee tribe's cultural heritage along the banks of their namesake river in Wisconsin. The Menominee people have resided along the Menominee River for thousands of years, and evidence of their ancestral past, including sacred rites such as dance rings and burial mounds, line its banks. Canadian mining company Aquila Resources wants to dig an 80-acre open pit immediately adjacent to the river in Michigan's rural Upper Peninsula to extract copper, zinc, gold, and silver. The pit would have been deeper than the Statue of Liberty is tall and only 50 yards away from the river. The nonprofit law firm Earth Justice represented the tribe in challenging the company's permits. This past January, a Michigan judge denied the Back 40 project a wetlands permit, ruling that the mine was, quote, not in the public interest, end quote, and would damage nearby cultural and historic resources. More recently, another court decision called the company's mining permits into question. In May, Aquila Resources announced it would drop its mining permits and end its efforts to reinstate its wetland permit. Not ready to give up, though, the company has announced plans to submit yet another proposal to revive the Back 40 project. The Menominee tribe is celebrating its victory but remaining vigilant. Joan Delabro, chair of the Menominee tribe in Wisconsin, said, quote, this is a win for the Menominee River, the people of Wisconsin and Michigan, and Menominee Tribe, and we will not stop fighting until these waters, lands, and ancestral sites are protected for good, end quote. The Minnesota Zoo euthanized its last two musk oxen because its state is too warm. The animals first were introduced to the zoo in 1978, but temperatures have since warmed and the animals' health declined. Arctic tundra temperatures, where the musk oxen are from, can range from minus 30 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit, according to Nat Geo. During the Ice Age, musk oxen were found as far south as Kansas, but as the ice and tundra receded northward, so did the musk oxen. They currently roam the Arctic tundra of northern Canada and Greenland and have been successfully returned to Alaska and Russia. Musk oxen are native to Alaska, but were extirpated by the 1920s. In 1930, 34 musk oxen captured in East Greenland were transplanted to Alaska, and all musk oxen in Alaska today are descended from these animals. In a classic case of environmental racism, oil and gas corporations are trying to build a pipeline through predominantly black communities in Memphis, Tennessee. Valero Energy Corporation and Plains All-American Pipeline are working at building the Bihalia Connection Pipeline. The pipeline would cut directly through predominantly black South Memphis and threaten the Memphis Sand Aquifer, which provides clean and safe drinking water to residents around Memphis. 
The pipeline's proposed route would run through Boxtown, a historic black neighborhood in South Memphis that's already burdened by industrial facilities that have detrimental effects on people's health. During the first days of Biden's presidency, his administration promised to address environmental racism, the disproportionate siting of polluting industries in communities of color and impoverished communities. Revoking the permit that the Bihalia pipeline is being constructed under would make good on the administration's promise. Ford wants you to picture a new type of electric vehicle driver, one who rolls around in a 400-horsepower pickup truck. The American automaker unveiled its all-electric F-150 Lightning truck last week with much fanfare and a surprise visit from President Joe Biden himself. Ford and the Biden administration, which has promised to spend $174 billion on electric vehicles, are banking that consumers who have previously shown little interest in EVs are going to be swayed by seeing the cars they love in new all-electric clothing. It's the same bet being made by General Motors, which has already unveiled its Hummer EV, as well as Chevy, which is planning to release an all-electric version of the Silverado. The question is whether the trailer-towing, pickup-truck-driving residents of Middle America are going to adopt these EVs. Only 2% of all cars sold in the U.S. today are electric, and most of those are sold in blue states like California, Washington, and Oregon. But the F-150 is a bit of an icon. Introduced in 1975 as a square-jawed, boxy vehicle that quickly found its way, the F-150 has been the most popular vehicle in the U.S. for 39 years. If any car could get reluctant Americans to hop on the EV bandwagon, the thinking goes, it's this one. The sticker price might make the difference. The base model of the F-150 Lightning comes in at $40,000. But assuming Ford keeps selling cheaper gas-powered and hybrid versions, many consumers still may not want to make the jump to all-electric. The $7,500 tax credit for EVs could help, but buyers are still vulnerable to sticker shock. And many of the states where Ford trucks are most popular are also states that have very few charging stations, which could seem risky to drivers eyeing the lightnings. Earth has vibrant coral reefs and large aggregations of tunas, sea turtles, manta rays, and whale sharks. The number of marine species naturally tapers off as you head toward the poles. Ecologists have assumed that this global pattern has remained stable over recent centuries, until now. A recent study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science found the ocean around the equator has already become too hot for many species to survive and that global warming is responsible. In other words, the global pattern is rapidly changing, and as species flee to cooler water towards the poles, it's likely to have profound implications for marine ecosystems and human livelihoods. This global pattern, where the number of species starts lower at the poles and peaks at the equator, results in a bell-shaped gradient of species richness. It has been in effect for a very long time. The study looked at distribution records for nearly 50,000 marine species collected since 1955 and found a growing dip over time in this bell shape. So as our oceans warm, species have tracked their preferred temperatures by moving towards the poles. 
Although the warming at the equator of 0.06 degrees Celsius over the past 50 years is relatively modest compared with warming at higher latitudes, tropical species have to move farther to remain in their thermal niche compared to species elsewhere. As ocean warming has accelerated over recent decades due to climate change, the dip around the equator has deepened. One of the crucial battles is being fought over the Arctic Ocean. It is one of the last refuges of species requiring cold water. For example, codfish have largely moved north and out of the Gulf of Maine. Many nations, especially Russia, Canada, and the U.S., want to fish in the Arctic Ocean. Fishing interests always win these battles in the long run. Suzanne Simard, a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia, has discovered that trees are social creatures that communicate with one another cooperatively. Trees, Simard has found, are linked to other nearby trees through an underground network of fungi that resembles the brain's neural networks. In one study, Simard observed a Douglas fir that suffered insect damage send chemical warning signals to a ponderosa pine living nearby. The pine tree then produced defense enzymes to protect itself against the insects. Samard says this discovery was a breakthrough. The trees were sharing information that's important to the health of the whole forest. Trees not only warn each other of danger, they also share nutrients at crucial times to keep each other healthy. Samard says the trees in a forest are often linked to one another through an older tree she calls a mother or hub tree. Samard says the mother trees connect with all the trees of different ages in the forest and facilitate the growth of the understory seedlings. She notes, quote, The seedlings will link into the network of the old trees and benefit from that huge uptake resource capacity. And the old trees will also pass a little bit of carbon and nutrients and water to the little seedlings at crucial times in their lives that actually help them survive, end quote. For years, fossil fuel companies and governments have justified their fossil fuel expansion plans, from the Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline expansion to Arctic oil drilling to new coal mines on the backs of scenarios from the International Energy Agency, IEA. This was possible because, until today, the world's most influential energy modeling agency had not produced a scenario actually aligned with the full ambition of the Paris Agreement goals. That's no longer true. Now, after years of pressure from climate advocates, investors, businesses, and diplomats, the IEA has finally released its first-ever full-fledged energy scenario aligned with the urgent goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. One conclusion in particular stands out to the organization Oil Change International. There is no need for investment in new fossil fuel supply in our net zero pathway. They add, quote, Beyond projects already committed as of 2021, there are no new oil and gas fields approved for development in our pathway, and no new coal mines or mine extensions are required, end quote. This means that an agency that has consistently boosted new oil and gas development in its flagship annual World Energy Outlook is now backing up the global call to stop the expansion of fossil fuel extraction. 
And now for our feature, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about lead water service pipes. A multi-trillion dollar infrastructure plan proposed by the Biden administration includes $45 billion in funding to replace lead pipes and sewer lines, a feature that could help protect thousands of Hoosier children from lead contamination. The $2 trillion American Jobs Plan would invest in infrastructure projects like road and bridge improvements, public transit, climate resilience, and clean energy job training programs and other projects over eight years. The plan, if approved by Congress, would include $45 billion in U.S. Environmental Protection Agency drinking water state revolving fund loans and federal water infrastructure improvements for the Nation Act grants to eliminate all lead pipes and service lines in the country. And today, up to 10 million homes in America and more than 400,000 schools and child care centers have pipes with lead in them, including drinking water. A clear and present danger to our children's health. American Jobs Plan creates jobs replacing 100% of the nation's lead pipes and service lines so every American can drink clean water. And the process will create thousands and thousands of good paying jobs. If the lead pipe removal facet of the plan survives a long trek through both houses of Congress, it could address a problem some experts have called a ticking time bomb in Indiana and other industrial and lower income parts of the country. This is Gabriel Filippelli, director of Indiana University, Purdue University's Center for Urban Health. As we saw from Flint and Washington, D.C. before that, and Newark, New Jersey, and Patterson um, right now, this, this is a... It's just all of these systems are just waiting to flush, you know, waiting to poison kids if you're not being really careful. Exposure to lead can damage a child's brain and nervous system, causing slowed growth and development, learning and behavior problems, lower IQ, and decreased attention span and underperformance in school. Filippelli said the plan to remove and replace lead service lines would have a positive effect on Hoosier health throughout the state, which has an unknown amount of dangerous lead service lines. In a city like Indianapolis and even smaller towns or any older town that was built before, let's say, 1970, has a likelihood of having lead service lines. The, the trick is that no one kept track of them. We really only started mapping service line um, construction uh, starting like in the 70s and 80s. So we actually have absolutely no idea where, you know, where most of these service lines might be. Cities like Fort Wayne, South Bend, Mishawaka, Goshen, East Chicago, Indianapolis, and even major regional water providers like Indiana American Water continue finding lead service lines even after decades of use. Lead was also detected in water samples from hundreds of school buildings across the state in the past few years. Filippelli, who also serves as executive director of Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute, said the $45 billion will most likely not be enough to find all the lead lines and service lines throughout the U.S., but local programs could help to narrow down where lead pipes could be located. It's like a, a detective game where you hope to get it all right, but you're likely going to miss some. And so they do it based on the age of the community, the last time the water uh, mains have been replaced, uh, and and sometimes some modeling, some mathematical modeling of likelihood. Uh, and so it, it, it's going to be a lot of guesswork. One such program is headed by IUPUI's Center for Urban Health, which teamed up with a group of Indianapolis clergy, the Indianapolis Ministerium, to help distribute free lead test kits to residents on the near northwest side of the city. 
Data from the soil and water testing kits will be added to a database called Map My Environment, which can be referenced when trying to find lead pipes or service lines. We're working with citizen scientists to have them collect water from their own tap and test it for free to help see uh, if we can use this approach as, as a low-cost technique to map out lead service lines in communities. And if it works, it might be a better way, because you don't want to waste money tearing up an entire street to get down and figure out, oh, I guess that service line was replaced you know, 20 years ago. Uh, you just don't want to do that. The plan has not yet been introduced into either legislative house. When it is introduced, it will most likely change in some form as Republicans and some conservative Democrats have expressed opposition to either certain parts of the proposal or the overall price of the plan. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Bloomington Restorations invites you to the monthly museum open day at the Hinkle Garden Farmstead on Saturday, May 29th from 1 to 4 p.m. Back by popular demand will be the native plant sale at the same time. The farmhouse will be open for tours, but COVID safety practices will be in place. Masks must be worn inside the farmhouse. Brown County State Park is offering a hiking in snake country trek on Saturday, May 29th from 11 to 11.45 a.m. Meet at the Nature Center and join the hike along the Discovery Trail to learn the do's and don'ts of hiking around snakes. Sturdy, closed-toed shoes are recommended for this half-hour moderate hike. The Paintown State Recreation Center at Monroe Lake is having a cicada celebration on Saturday, May 29th and Sunday, May 30th from 10 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. The 17-year periodic cicadas have arrived. You have the opportunity to make cicada masks, cicada life cycle placemats, cicada lapel pins, cicada origami, cicada flyers, and more. Join Naturalist Morgan at Spring Mill State Park for a salamander social on Memorial Day, Monday, May 31st from 11 to 11.30 a.m. You will discover how cool Indiana salamanders are, including the snot otter. Create some slime to take home. Doesn't that sound like fun? Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center. The Bloomington Garden Club's 2021 Summer Garden Walk is scheduled to take place on Saturday, June 5th and Sunday, June 6th. Monroe County is following current local mask and safety guidelines. Please visit bloomingtongarden-club.org for more information. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. 
David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to The Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.